Here us here in the host of the hour, first to follow the fox named Neve, with books laid before the bear named M to read and retire around the long fire. We did it. Y'all's saga's over. I wish I was on fire, burned alive in my home. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a rough Wednesday. Yeah. Um, I'm in the the start of like a bunch of podcast work, so <clears throat> I'm uh I, it's not even, just, you know, sometimes life just log jams you a little bit and you're like, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. But I usually think about it because, so we had to postpone stairwell, so we recorded it Monday. Mm-hmm. Then yesterday, which was Tuesday, we did Puton. Mm-hmm. Then we're doing this today. Then tomorrow we're watching the movie for stairwells. Then Friday we're, we're recording stairwells. And then Saturday we're recording Ghost Divers. Yeah, that sounds, um, that sounds about like most of my weeks. Yeah. Um, and my birthday's in here. Yeah, birthday's um, in like four hours, right? Happy birthday. Yeah. It if is. you're listening to this podcast, it's probably after midnight. Tell Neve happy birthday. God damn it. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I made a face before I said that. I know. I could hear it. <clears throat> um,. Yeah, and then yesterday I was just fucking exhausted because I, I had to go to a trade show for work. So um, I was basically on my feet from like, I mean, we, we started at like 10 a.m. walking around, but like 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. Yeah. Um, and trade shows are just like the most overstimulating experience mm-hmm. um, because not only is it like a normal convention, there's just way too many people and way too much sound from that. But also it's all industrial supply stuff. So it's just like uh, loud machinery because people will bring in like robots to demo or like conveyor belts or their like loud power tool or whatever. Mm-hmm. So all this just like constantly happening in this giant room. Um, it's it's a lot. So, um, yeah, I was like functionally dead when we recorded Pujan. I have no idea how that episode went. I haven't listened to it yet. I couldn't tell you. I took Monday off, so I'm behind on all my podcasts. Also, work has been kind of busy. I have to train someone. I don't want to talk about my day job. I fucking hate talking about my day job. It's just been busy, yeah. and it's just added mental load, and so I'm just fully maxed out. This week is like prep for Emerald Mapping. I mean, I played the game, but, you know, sometimes it's still like not, not nothing. Repertory screenings, mortar movie night, this. It's just like 8,000 things all at once. So I'm like, oh. Yeah. Um... I feel like the the C Destiny break has to be coming soon, right? Does it is coming happen? in about a month. Jackson specifically okay. requested April twenty. I don't even know why they picked this date. I didn't ask. I I was like, whatever. Um, the twenty third. We go by Sundays because we record. Um, so that means the twenty sixth of April will be no episode, which means we're fucking like taking every bullet necessary to clear that weekend because we don't have weekends off very often. We're like the 22nd, 23rd, we're not recording fucking shit. I'll record Gotham with autumn on the 21st. And then I'm done until at least Monday. <laughs> um, that, that shut up, Siri. Nice, shut the like... fuck up, Siri. I hate you so much. <laughs> um, God, Emily also uses Siri and mostly just swears at Siri. Um, and <laughs> I love it for like setting timers when I'm cooking or I use I the voice thing I use a lot actually. But when I'm gesticulating and my watch goes, oh, you lifted the your hand. 
uh, because I talk with my hands a lot, uh, it goes off all the time. It sucks. Yeah. Um, that, that skip though for GGP will, will work out for me. Cause like the very beginning of May, like the end of April, beginning of May. So like the next weekend, mm-hmm. um, is when we're going to do like a short trip to see some friends. Um, so I won't have to worry about, like, I'll just watch it a week early that week, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll just watch it on, usually I do it Tuesdays to the 25th. Um, and then just hold on to, I'll forget everything that happened by the time I listen to the episode on the second or whatever. (laughs) Um, yeah, fair enough. I'm sure fucking nothing happens and it sucks. You know, I'm, I'm pretty safe on that one. Yeah. The, um, the seed, the seed like... things, the seed <clears throat> things been so bad. Like I, I want to watch Zeta, the prep for a new translation. I don't want to think about Gundam. Period. <laughs> right now, when I'm when I've got my own free time, the idea that I would watch another Gundam on top of Seed <laughs> Destiny and just like jab the knife in just a little bit further, intolerable. I will not be watching the rest of Zeta. I got like ten episodes in, and that's it. No more. Those other forty episodes yeah. can fuck right off. <laughs> um. Can you imagine if I was watching Foreign Camille the, the same time I'm watching yeah. Stella and Shin? Are you kidding me? Out of my goddamn mind. I'm already like upset every week. I'm like, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. Then I watch Dunbine, and it's like a little balm on my soul so I can keep going on. I'll carry on. Uh, I'm just fuck Samwise and Frodo on the mountain here, like trying to get there before I fall over dead. Uh, that's what watching Seed Destiny is like every goddamn week. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm watching Seed feeling the gap of like I've just finished Turn A, uh, so I won't have that pulling me through Gundam excitement. Oh. Uh, I still have Iron Blooded Orphans for the podcast, but I have to like think about it so deeply for Ghost Divers that um it's very different than just like enjoying Turn A. Yeah. Um but I won't talk more about Turn A. Maybe maybe we will at the end, but we should silo it off as spoilers if we do, so I yeah, won't hold off. We right should, now. we should. It's not a spoiler that see Destiny fucking sucks. Everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> the Jackson pointing out that you could just replace Stella with a dog and the whole plot with her still makes sense. That's it sucks um, so much. That yeah. and the combination of me realizing that Seed can't build anyone else up without making someone else look like shit, like the bad wrestling booking thing, uh, is really yeah. just those two things in, in tandem of just root. I yeah, I was not here for Seed anyway, but it's really just like yeah. laid bare how inept the construction of a story is. They could do anything else that would be better. I'm so mad all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Um I'm trying to do outside work to understand why people under like why people like Seed and Seed Destiny. D- um, damn, people tr- we have multiple people in the Discord try. There's no good answer other than some motherfuckers have bad taste and there's always someone watching Gun yeah. for the first time, right? Like that's really it. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe I'll unlock something by the time I'm on the finale. I doubt Attack it, on but... Titan's been having its final season for five years. There's uh... no accounting for taste. <laughs> So how'd you find the end of Nyal Saga? <laughs> um, it was fine. Honestly, I was expecting it to go a little harder. I really like the final, final bit. I think it's like, I, I think that it, I guess you should probably summarize it. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to general, cause I, I did kind of enjoy this just because it, it felt a little bit more like the beginning of the saga where like weird asides are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a thing I enjoy about sagas and that Nyal Saga in all of its like structured and being focused, 
uh, loses a lot of that, like, here's just this weird side story that doesn't really matter to the plot, except for, like, this one detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we get a little bit of that here, so. Um, but yeah, I, w- I will do the job of summarizing for us. Yes. Uh, so, uh, this is 145 to, to 159, a.k.a. the end. Um, so we get this part, um, basically, you know, last time we left off, uh, Aelvir and Flosi did this little trick, um, to, in the fifth court, invalidate the case again, um, and, you know, everything sort of comes tumbling down, there's not going to be any sort of, uh, you know, reparations or anything. Mm-hmm. And Thor Hotler, who's the one who uh, Njal taught all of the law to, um, and is like the one who basically knows everything and has been helping, but from afar, because uh, he has this like, um, you know, boil in his foot and he can't walk really, uh, he hears of this, he jumps out of his bed, he grabs the the spear that Scarpathan gave him, and he like drives it into his foot and pulls it out with the the boil, like the core of the boil coming out. Um, There's just like this, describe it as a torrent, like a brook of uh blood and matter just pouring out over the floor and then he just like uh books it the, to the the, thing, the, the fifth thing, court the thing i think of is the bit in uh spirited away where she like unplugs the polluted river spirit and just like thousand tons of garbage come pouring out yeah <laughs> um this is that like gross bit that i mentioned but that i i think is great it's fucking incredible um yeah and then he just books it to the fifth court and the like the moment that he sees a kinsman of flossy uh grimier the red he just immediately hurls the spear through him um so it's it's a pretty banger start to the to the chapter i think um but this culminates in like a a full fight breaks out um across the all thing which is Notable because this is supposed to be a hallowed place. People aren't really supposed to bring weapons in or they're supposed to tie them. Like battles aren't supposed to happen here. Um, when there was like the challenge to the duel way back in the beginning uh, with like Kruter, um and the, the divorce stuff because his dick was too big to, to satisfy uh, his wife. Yes. Um, all of that stuff. It was like notable that they had to like leave the grounds to have the duel. He like challenged to a duel, but they left here. They're just like fighting in the middle of the all thing. Um, so, uh, you know, this full, like, everything's just sort of breaking down. Um, and, uh, there's a a few people who try to stop the fighting. Um, chief among them, I think, are, uh, Hotler Asitha and Snorri the Gothi. Um, and they, you know, start initiating some peace and, uh, Hotler persuades, Snorri to do this arbitration panel, whether it be 12 men, they would deliver a verdict of compensation um, and punishment. And they, they, everybody agrees to this because uh, basically the country is breaking apart um, over this fight. And the result is basically um, Flosi and the other people responsible for the burning who are going to get just referred to as the burners hereafter uh, in a lot of instances. Um, Flosi has to leave the country for three years. Uh, the burners, some of them for life. And I think some of them are just for three years. It's very Um, cyberpunk of them to call them the burners. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else like too notable in this, 
Um, we do get the Kauri and Thorgir, Skorgir. Uh, they refuse to be part of the agreement. Um, so that's like key for what happens next. But mm-hmm. um, also, there's like a a little bit of like a grace period before they have to leave the country. Um, yeah. Otherwise, there there's not like too much uh, else that happens here beyond just like descriptions of fighting and stuff. Yeah. Um, none of it is as uh, incredible as just stabbing the the core of the boil out of your own foot with a spear and then immediately hurling the spear through a guy. <laughs> um, but uh, next chapter. Um, so, uh, Kauri and Thorgir, um, are basically seeking revenge, and they chase down and kill five of the burners. Um, I don't know if there's anything like too notable. In... Uh, this just has my favorite thing, which is the uh, end of Dracula race to the Borgo Pass kind of thing. I love a chase on horseback with some guys going yeah. very slowly. I think it's always good. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I let me, let me grab this. I have a th- like note of who gets killed in each of these. Because um, there's a part later where Cowdery is going to talk about like basically slaying 13 men and wants to slay two more. That doesn't include the people who are killed at the all thing, which was not like a direct enacting of revenge. Um, but in this group, there's a, a person who's unnamed. Um, and then it's Thor Kettle Sigfusson, Seerthur Lambison, uh, Marather Sigfusson, and uh, Lathelvier Hamanderson. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the four men who die. Um, there's like a certain amount of like piecing together from this and then the dream to get everything. Because yeah. uh, it, it coincides with Flossie's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, after this battle, um, Thorger agrees to a settlement with Flosi, but basically only after Kauri threatens to, like, break up with, Thor- like, break his friendship with Thorger, um, you know, they'll have a friendship breakup, uh, if he doesn't agree to this. He's like, mm-hmm. I-, I want you to make the settlement. Um, however, Kauri's, uh, son who died, Thorther, who was, who was burned, um, like was not a part of any of the settlements. And so he is going to continue to seek revenge for his son. Um, I don't know if there's anything else like notable in this chapter, but that's the, the gist of the, um, Oh, I think this is also where we get the first mention of a pilgrimage to Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Hotler tells Flossi to do this, uh, which, which will come about later. Yeah. Um, then, uh, Cowdery's sort of alone on his quest, um, doesn't have that much support um, because most other people have, you know, made some sort of settlement. Um, But he does end up um, coming into like the company of Bjorn the White. Um, Again, White here taking on like a a insinuation of cowardly, uh, which he he mostly lives up to. Um, The following chapters of like them trying to get revenge um, like Bjorn going along with Kauri, there's like a lot of, uh, Bjorn being like, mm, like, do what if we just run away now? Or like, what if we just go this way instead where maybe we won't have to confront them? Um, but despite all of that, he sticks with Kauri throughout all the fights. Um, this is where we really get a lot of the, like, uh, there's like multiple encounters that are all, I think it's, there's like two or three, um, 
where there's like multiple like moving around throughout the landscape trying to like run into each other again mm-hmm. um and uh at the end of it uh so notable thing about Bjorn the White was that he was like always telling these uh fanciful stories basically mm-hmm. um about all of his exploits and his wife never believed them um and so Kauri's like main reward I forget if there's anything else that really comes up here but like the real big reward that he gives to Bjorn is when it's all over he's like yeah, you know, he conducted himself well uh, to his wife. <laughs> uh, so, you know, at least he's not all bluster. He seems mostly bluster, but um, he did stick. He did stick by Kauri's side and uh, occasionally leapt out from behind him to, like, get in a stab. So. <laughs> um, and then at the very end of uh, 152, we get um, Kauri talking with Thorgeir. Um, and this is when he says like 13 men have been killed, but I plan to kill two more. Um, so the, the other, uh, men, um, the, so yeah, I think there's like two, uh, battles that, um, Kauri and Bjorn have. Um, and the first one, it's, uh, Modelver Kettleson, um, an unnamed man, Lombie Seatherson, uh, one of our, one of our, uh, guys who just keep showing up to help fight. <laughs> um, Thorstein, Gerlison, uh, Gunnar of Skull, and then in the, the other battle that they do, um, it's Gloomer, Hildeson, Bibrander, Thorfinson, and uh, Ausbrander, Thorfinson. Um, and then the two men that he says that he still needs to, to go and kill are Gunnar Lambison and uh, Kolar Thorsteinson. So those are the two who will still come up. Um, we then get uh, Flosi traveling abroad. Um, so we sort of shift to that perspective and they sail to the Orkneys where they uh, eventually win favor with Earl Seerthorn. Um There's this little bit where, uh, so Flosi killed uh, Helgi Nielsen during the burning and Helgi Nielsen was a retainer of um the the earl and so they like sort of make sure that doesn't come up and then flo sees when he sort of says uh like the earl seerthor says what can you tell me about my retainer helgi nielsen uh flo says i can tell you this that i cut off his head um and the earl's like mad about this at first but then um because of like some inner relation that flo uh, has where um it's like one of his relatives is married to one of uh, the Earl's relatives or something, mm-hmm. or like a retainer of the Earl. Uh, basically things get a little bit smoothed over. And then this is like a trope that comes up. Uh, he basically like takes the place of Helgi uh, in the retinue, uh, like fills that same position um, and gets welcomed in. Um, Then we get the sort of beginning of this, like slightly diversionary thing um, where so uh, Earl Seerther invites his brother-in-law, Earl Gitli of the Hebrides uh, to come celebrate Yule with him. Um, and then at the same time, um, King Sigtrigger comes to Earl Seerthers and, and uh, you know, at first we don't necessarily know why, because they never announced their intentions like when they first visit. Uh, but we learn a little bit about like what's going on. Uh, we learn about King Brown, which is King Brian. Um, 
and various relations there. Um, and at the end, it's sort of revealed uh, King Sigtrigger's here because he wants uh, help from uh, Earl Searthurson to go and fight King Brown or King Brian. Um, uh, in the midst of this, uh, during the like Yule festivities, uh, they're telling all of these, like they're telling the news and telling stories, and they say, uh, "Somebody needs to like tell the story of the burning of Nial. Like, entertain us with this." Um, and Gunnar Lambeson is selected, uh, given the chair, and um, you know, all he knows how to do is eat hot chip and lie. Uh, yes, <laughs> he's just like talking about how everybody was crying and like uh, how cool and badass they were. Um, lots of insults towards uh, Nyal and his kin. Um, and who happens to like come across the hall at this exact moment, but uh, you know, our, our main man here, Kauri, uh, and he's like, uh, it's especially when it's like this insinuation of man, unmanliness that, uh, he rushes in and is like, I, I can't take anymore. Um, and just like immediately kills, um, Gunnar Lombison. Just chops um, his head right off. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to get another chopping his head right yes. off as well. Um, and everyone's like, you know, seize that man. Like who, what's going on here? But then Flosi says, uh, let him go. Like he has the he right has to do this. <laughs> yeah. He has some valid points. He has the right to do this. Like he hasn't made any settlement with any of us. So he has like the right to seek revenge. Um, just let him go. Uh, this is going to be kind of a recurring thing with, with Flossy to a little bit, uh, to, to some of this stuff, but, um, he conducts himself well through all of this, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's something about this whole section of Flossy and, uh, and uh, Kyrie like interacting with each other that reminds me of like the framing device of Frankenstein, just like this like long term chase to where like both people are kind of exhausted of it by the end. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then let me see. Um. So after that whole incident is when we learn that King Sigtrigir wants um the Earl to come help fight King Brian. Um. And so then we get like um, 156 and 157 in particular um, is basically this like Norse perspective of the Battle of Clontarf, um, which in the translation we have the title, they they call that out the Battle of Clontarf. But in the original text, they just refer to it as Brown's Battle. Um, So like Brian's Battle is sort of the the, uh, Icelandic phrase for this. Um, but this is a historical event that's also, um, attested to in, uh, like Irish sources. Um, and there's some like slight variations, but a lot of details here sort of match up. Um, not a lot of this is like particularly important to the story other than a number of the burners die, um, in the fight. That's like one of the things that's called out. Um, also we get this. Uh, what is it? Um, I don't actually know how to to say the name because they they give sort of the uh, Irish spelling in here, which is the like precursor to the modern Tig, uh, the T A D K. Um, but it's this like young boy who uh tries to take the blow for King Brian and gets his arm chopped off, but then King Brian's like um blood spills on it and it like instantly heals. Mm-hmm. Um. 
which is just like a cool little weird aside. Um, I don't know if there's anything else from the battle itself that was um, interesting to you. I know we also get the the verses. That's pretty. It's like the most extensive section of verse that we get. Yes. Um, and most of it is like this extended uh, metaphor for battle and like comparing it to weaving, um, mm. like on a loom. Um. But then the other weird thing that happens is we get a bunch of uh, signaling of an apocalypse that happens at the moment that King Brian dies. Um, there's like blood raining down on Good Friday. Uh, also on Good Friday, a priest sees a deep sea chasm open beside the altar uh, and views such terrifying sights that he's unable to sing mass. Um, the The most notable here is um what's like broadly known as the the song of Durther. Um and uh yeah it is the sort of the this like Irishman um at Caithness. Oh yeah this is part of the the verse uh that's written now but him like witnessing this site um the bloody battle. Um but yeah that's like a, a sort of notable uh longer poem that exists um mm. and then um moving on we get the coal uh Kohler being slain um and basically it's just like uh Cowdery happens upon him um at like a town in wales i think mm-hmm. um he's just like walking in and there's uh Kohler Thorsteinson, just like he's exchanged some of his wares for silver and he's just um or maybe yeah he he's getting silver and he's yeah. like counting out the money he got and uh he he's saying like nine when Cowrie lops off his head and then like his head as it's flying through the air says ten. Yeah. Um so um and at the end of that chapter we then get uh Flossie setting sail from Wales and, uh, you know, landing, journeying south on foot to come to Rome. Uh, Cowrie will do like the same basic, uh, path as well pretty soon. Um, but yeah, he goes in, uh, in exchange for a large sum of money, receives absolution from the Pope. Um, <laughs> Popes love to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the next chapter, uh, Cowrie also sails to Normandy, uh, continues south and receives absolution. It's not noted here if he has to pay a large sum of money. Uh, it just says that he receives absolution. Uh, and then he, he uh, returns by way of the Western route, which I think would be Germany, maybe? He sort of goes mm. through what would like, now be Germany um, and then sails onward um, to like England, Wales, Scotland, various places. Um, he sort of sails around a little bit more, which is notable because um, he comes back to Iceland two years after Flossi has already returned to his farm at Svinafell, Um And he ships uh, shipwrecks at a place called Ingleshothi. Um, and from there he walks to Svinafell, which is fairly nearby. And uh, we basically get this like instant reconciliation. 
Um, they've both received absolution. Uh, they're both exhausted of this, like, chase. Kauri's killed enough dudes. He's gotten his 15, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, while he's been away, his wife, uh, Helga Njalstoder, has died. Um, and Flosie you know, marries You know what they say, when you, when you go on a, when you go on a trek of revenge, uh, make 16 graves, the 15 men you kill and your wife is going to die while you're away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then he, he marries Flosie's niece, Hildegunner, uh, which the saga, uh, notably, uh, just doesn't mention in this. It doesn't talk at all about how this might affect the marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, was widowed when Kauri killed her first husband, Hoskolder. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I think for... There's like two ways to read this, which is like one, like, ah, finally peace has been restored, potentially through the help of like the Christian um, absolution. But then you immediately end it with a marriage where um, you could very easily see like her being one of those people who is unhappy with the marriage that we've gotten so many throughout the saga. And it's just going to like uh, plot against her husband. Um, Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think we mostly just get the their children noted. I forget it. I don't think we get any mention of how their marriage is. Uh, we do learn that Flossie lives to be an old man. Um, so, he he goes down with a ship where uh, people say it's not seat-worthy, and he goes, well, it's seat-worthy enough for an old man who's going to die soon. Um, <laughs> what that means for his crew... Anyway, that's real Nialcor of like, yeah, look, I'm going to die. It's time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have like final takes on this. No, it's weird. I, I don't know what like takeaway one is supposed to have about this. Right. Like it just kind of putters into an ending. And like, it's fun yeah. that Cowrie goes in and gets all his vengeance. And I, I love a guy who's getting vengeance, but like. The, the destabilization of, like, the nations never really addressed. It's outside the scope of the saga, really, other than, like, there is a huge fucking battle that breaks out in the middle of a courtroom, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I just, I'm just left, like, wondering why. Like, I know this is, like, one of the big, most important sagas, and I'm like, this is, like, the least of the ones we've read to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so... I, I was thinking about it a lot this week because um, I think in terms of, like, stuff that I love about sagas, mm. um, this one is, like, there are moments, right? We got, like, uh, the the beginning, I think, was a strong beginning. This saga had some great stuff at the beginning. Um, we had these little, like, spots, like Killer Hopper, mm-hmm. um, that we, we obviously enjoyed. I think there's some fun stuff in the end here. Um, although, how much is all of it a resolution? I don't know. Um, but like often I like sagas because you'll get this primary narrative thrust, but then you're kind of just getting side stories about like the main players constantly that are just kind of weird and at the edges. And, uh, because there's sort of a lack of structure is just allowed to be kind of like fun and interesting. Um, Whereas this is, like, so intentionally, I think, trying to structure out, like, a a narrative um, and trying to, like, construct that, that one, a lot of that stuff falls to the side um, or also potentially gets changed to, like, uh, better support the narrative. Um, One of the things I was, was, like, looking to a little stuff before this and um, 
came across uh, a paper that was talking about how um, the like recurring uh, insult in this of like old beardless uh, or like the beardless one, um, you know, they keep referring to like Nyal as beardless that uh, like the, the old Norse word um, that like nickname, there's no other historical record of it ever being applied to Nyal, but there are historical records of it being applied to other people. Um, but not in any way that suggests a negative uh, connotation in the same way that it like denoted unmanliness. Um, and so I was thinking about, so why is that happening here? And realize that like when that happens, there's a lot at which the saga is showing you how like uh, gossip and like social things like within the, just the local community, like this gets developed around very specific contexts uh as sort of an insult that might not immediately sting but then gets like built up when there's additional like mocking uh poem written about it and all of that kind of stuff um that like that that insult like takes on more of that meaning um really the core insult is that she's just saying unmanly and she's just like reached for this as the the way to do it um so i think some of it is like showing the way that those those things like function socially in a way that a lot of other sagas don't um i think the saga is like it, as much as lock style saga was like having things about gender i think it also sometimes assumed that as more um like inherent fact whereas this nyal saga does actually seem to be trying to like show how some of that stuff operates like how does it come about and how do you how does it get built up and how do people respond to it um and then I was thinking about that and I was thinking about, again, why does like Nell basically go along with fate? Um, like does the, the, uh, gown or, you know, the, it's like a, a garment that was, uh, like ambiguous, like men and women could wear it. That, that gown that he puts on the money that like insults Flossie. Um, and I, I came to the conclusion, like maybe Nell does all of this because he, as an old man, realizes that, like, it falls to him to get revenge for his foster son, but the revenge is against his own sons. And so he has to construct the scenario where uh, revenge is enacted both on his sons and him at the same time, him being responsible for his son's death then. Um like, I think that's part of what's happening with all of the way that he dies now that I'm, like, thinking about that more. Um, <clears throat> and and then within that, he's, like, very happy to intentionally use the gender norms, knowing that, like, Flossie would take a offense um, at this sort of ambiguous clothing, not necessarily because it itself says that he is womanly, but because it's actually implying that, like, by not taking blood or revenge and instead accepting a settlement, he is unmanly. Um, so I think there's a lot of like interesting stuff in here, but also a lot of it is um, there's like structure happening, but it ha also hasn't quite gotten to the point where all of it is always um, fully working where you have to like do extra work to sometimes make some of the other connections. Um, and I think there's also a lot, especially it goes as it goes on, like the beginning of the saga very clearly spells out motivations. Um, and then later on, like 
leaves it a little bit more ambiguous why people are fighting each other. Um, so I still don't like it as much as like style of saga. I think it's like style of saga is just more fun to read and still has interesting things as well. Um, but yeah, I guess I came to the end of it being like the, I think there's a little bit of, um, in a way that I hadn't paid attention to before there's like a, a more direct, uh, interrogation of like, how does this, uh, gender dynamic continue to cause issues mm-hmm. um which is this this is also why i thought like is this part of why the the battle of clontarf is coming in because as much as the weird aside it is it's also a thing that like fully reminds you that despite the the like decision that was made at the all thing around christianity there is still fighting happening between like heathens and christians in the mm-hmm. norse world um and as we might like get more detail when we read some of the uh Hamskringla, um, although there were like clear gender norms uh pre-Christianity, I think Christianity uh Christianity also intensified some of them. Um like it made uh divorce like even harder for women than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um and also <clears throat> There was there was like a little bit more space for deviation. Um, Othan is an interesting like figure as a god because he does womanly magic, <clears throat> and his main like uh, force of warriors are women who take on like a masculine warrior role in the the Valkyries. Uh, so like Othan, one of the most like considered manliest uh, by some. A- attestations uh and like one of the you know the father of all the gods and stuff has like this weirder gender going on than um obviously happens especially after like christianization um and like loki is like very gender fucky when we when we like read the the adas we'll get all sorts of like Loki just having uh turning into a female horse and having it sex with a a stallion and giving birth and stuff. So <laughs> um and like a lot of that stuff gets effaced. Um but then there's a a way that like the Battle of Clontarf uh situates like Christianity Christianity as just another force rather than like fully subsuming the pantheism. So um yeah, I guess that's like the thoughts that were knocking around in my head. But Mhm. That all makes sense. I don't sense. know if you have anything else, but No, 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 it just it just um none of that translates into me enjoying the saga, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, I think especially as it goes on, it becomes um becomes drier. Uh, yeah. like I missed the tone of the beginning. Um, and I do think that like it intentionally, uh, does some parallels. Um, mm-hmm. there's like a way that, um, cause Hallogarther has like her, her murder husband or no murder foster father. Yes. Um, and then, uh, I think that kind of gets paralleled with when she's like, quote unquote being seduced by killer Hopper and he's like doing similar things where he's like got his bloody axe and people are like why is your axe bloody and stuff like that yeah um but none of it uh none of it hits as hard as just like uh a guy going to norway and having this like 
I was just remembering those first chapters too, where there's like uh, this interesting power balance that's happening where she's a queen, but then also a woman, but then like is just constantly giving him commands at the mm-hmm. beginning, uh, being like, sit there, uh, remember that like you sit in this seat because I let you sit here tonight. You're going to go up and we're going to have sex <laughs> in my like upper room. <laughs> um, and nothing else like quite hit that same way. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's all I've got for, for Nyal saga. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I'm glad we read it. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm hoping that the, you know, our Kings do us a little better. Yeah. At the very least we'll have like, um, for the most part, much shorter sagas where we kind of get the, the whole guy's deal all at once. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think our only like lengthier section is, uh, Olaf Saga Helga. Okay. Um, who's St. Olaf. So that one's going to be seven, but like all the other ones, I think are only like two weeks at most. Um, yeah, I mean, our first one's like one saga in the forward, right? It's like really short. Yeah. Uh, and as a note, that forward is specifically the forward that was written by Snorri. Like, mm. people can obviously read the, the. I I think Liam Hollander probably also has a forward, but mm-hmm. um, as like a single large text, uh, Snorri wrote a forward to it that's like a, a page or two. Um, so we'll throw that in when we do Inglinga Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is like Saga of the Inglings would make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything else about the saga. I don't. I really <clears throat> don't. <laughs> Sometimes you're just like, no, I read it. It was, it was decent. I'm tired. I don't have anything. Yeah. I, um, quiet end on this one. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything else outside of sagas beyond turn A. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much you even want to talk about turn A. Um, do you, do you have turn A thoughts? Um, I, I have one thing that I also laughed because of, um, like a thing that, that autumn said when we were recording stairwells, um, that I, I have a slightly different read, I think on some of the stuff with, uh, Laurent than you, but also we don't have to do that now. No, or no. Ever. In what way? Now I'm curious. <laughs> let's, let's talk about it. Uh, so like on the final episode of the tournée, um, mm-hmm. you kind of talk about like Laurent as someone who defers constantly. Yes. Um, and I just had a, I had a very different read on him. Um, I think there's like a, there is a certain heroism in him being like, I don't want to pilot this thing, but I'm more afraid of someone who does want to pilot this thing being in this thing. And so I'm going to like, uh, he like sees as his duty that he has to continue to be the pilot Mm -hmm. um, in part just to like stop someone else from using it in uh, more harmful ways. I don't Um, think that necessarily conflicts with my read on Laurent, but. But I think it is still like a, a deep sense of uh, responsibility he has. Um, and then I was trying to think of like 
what else can he do at the end? I guess maybe if he can just like throw it into the sun. <laughs> um, but otherwise, no, 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 actually, a... uh, you haven't watched. You haven't finished Wing yet. Throwing guns in the sun I... is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have watched Wing. <laughs> Um, you don't it was want to a throw, long time ago, but, don't throw the but guns I know, in the sun because yeah. you immediately be like, "Damn, we need those. Gotta go get them." And it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, like, uh, by like locking away the the turn A, I think that's like the best that Laurent can do. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it is, I like, mean, the, we'll can, locking, will locking away the turn A is extremely out of his hands at that point. It happens, yeah. and he, uh, I don't think anyone like was like, oh, this is this is the plan. We're going to cause it to cocoon itself for another thousand years or whatever. Uh, but there, there also seems to be, like, something that is happening there where, um, like, he, he manages to escape because he's not continuing to, like, confront Gim Gingham yeah. in that moment. Yeah, um, he, he he lets go of the gun, right? Like, yeah. Um, but I I think in many ways he is. There's the whole arc of him with the the nukes in the the Chernay's chest, mm-hmm. and I think that like that is also deeply emblematic of like uh, what I see not as like deferring responsibility, but like. Um, holding on to responsibility in a way that uh, can actually sometimes create more danger, which is that he just is like, I have to be the one who's going to take these nukes into space and like, get rid of them. Yes. Um, And it mostly works out. Okay. In the end, but there's also a certain amount of like, he is just continually endangering people's lives by being like, well, I'm going to hold on to these Luke's nukes so that nobody can use them. Um, And I think he's doing the same thing with the tourney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. he constantly is trying to reframe the turn A as a tool to be used for anything other than like doing war, right? But fundamentally, if Gundam has an, an enduring message, I think in my heart, I believe it's that like once you've created a robot that is this that is shaped like a person to do your war for you, you can't walk that back. It just fundamentally yeah. changes the reality of like a situation into its worst possible self. Um, yeah, and I, I do think Tomino believes that to be true. <laughs> Yeah. And I think the the thing I was thinking about with that was like one I think uh he he's like deeply idealistic in thinking that he can use the the war machine as a tool to help people. Mm-hmm. Um but also I think there's like a a a thing that is happening there where the Gundam being the shape of a human but it being explicitly made for war uh mm-hmm. then calls into question like to what degree are human beings intrinsically bent towards violence? Um, Mm. If like this other thing that is a human form that could ostensibly do all the things that humans do, uh, but at like a greater scale, for example, you know, uh, Deanna as Keyhill using her hands to do the laundry in the river while the turn a can do it. And like effectively as a washing machine, but it's still just like washing it by hand, you know? Yes. Um, but it, you know, by just like amplifying what the human body can do, are you by amplifying the violence that the human body can do? Is that like more destructive than anything else that you could do with it? Um, and I think that the show comes comes down on yes. I mean, uh, this is this is the um, this is the equipment maintainer argument, right? Is that the yeah. Gundam is not the problem; it is humanity's constant need 
to like take by force that you can't yeah. no one no one can you can't industrialize or re- like disrupt human nature to this point um and on that level yeah. i think i think i think turning gundam comes to like something like a weirdly like disquiet conclusion where um things can be good for individuals but human nature will continue there will be new moonlight butterflies right there will be new wars and there's nothing to do about it other than like you when if it comes in your time you do the best you can and then you try to live quietly which is like i think really depressing like at large i think it's like a good i think it's like a revolutionary argument to make for individuals in mecha anime because often it's like we're going to end war and we're going to create a society that's post uh conflict and throw the guns in the sun whoops we have a new thing we have to make so we have to go get the guns back um it's stupid um but it does like leave me as a person who tries to think about what is art saying about human nature like in this place of like well like who why why have hope <laughs> yeah yeah it, it for me it's a this depressing thing when you when i think about it about like pure human nature mm-hmm. i think it is like deeply depressing to think that human nature is just inherently violent that like mm-hmm. uh the human body's capacity for violence will always outweigh like any good that you can do with it mm-hmm. um but also what it's saying about like the image there's also a way that the show is like meta and talking about uh Gundam as a franchise. Yes. Um and from there I like fully understand the like yes there's like no fully redeeming um like what this is from like a show about war, a toy about war, like uh all of that is like inherently baked into what the thing is. Mm-hmm. Um but you... it's like the crossover to human nature that makes it bleak and depressing. <laughs> Have you um did you listen to the Idion season? No. Okay. Um, I, I need to I watch it. I can't talk about this then because I would like. I have like <laughs> thoughts about this. They're deeply tied up in how Idion ends. Um, but I I don't want to like ruin that for you. Because mm. if you if you don't know how Be Invoked goes, I'm not going to like sit here and talk to you about. it. I think I know how Be Invoked goes, but I didn't. I've not watched Idion yet. Yeah. So. I just I just find when I think about what Tomino thinks about people, um the end of turn a and the end of Idion sit side by side to me. And I, they just, it, it just creates this idea of someone who is deeply like well wishing people to be their best selves, but very pessimistic about the potential of that. And maybe that's just me projecting. Cause I'm also very fatalistic about the, like the chances any of us have structurally as a species to pull out of our uh, horrible death spiral. Um, but I do, I do see it in the work. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um I do I do really wish that there was like even just like an OVA to flesh out the ending stuff of Turn A or something. Um you get that like whole montage at the end and I'm yes. like after everything that happened with like uh the Turn A and the Turn X and putting them into the cocoon um and everything, you then have like these images that do still show to like human beings as things capable of like caring for stuff, but it all just gets like crammed into 10 minutes. Um, and so, you know, like Laurent caring for the rapidly aging, uh, Deanna's keyhill is just like, um, an, an image more than like something that actually gets to get it be explored after all of that. So I, I kind of appreciate that just in the sense of like, 
the the framework is the story's framework is writ and then what happens to everyone uh, time slips like when when people are in peace time goes really fast right like it's like like the story it's like when you're reading a book if there's not conflict then what's the book about you're just like wasting people's time you write to the next thing um and so this time just ends up slipping away and it's the thing you want to hold on to you want to hold on to the victories where they get to spend time together just like exploring human spaces but that's not what a war show is about and so you don't get that and if yeah. you did get it it would it would be you'd have the people going like it's boring or it would be like oh this went too fast or it went too slow but all, all the things people say about real life when it's just normal right yeah the i guess the the reason why i i do appreciate how much it slips by but there's a part of me that thinks like the the way that it ends leaves it deeply pessimistic for me in the way that actually showing like more of how does life just go on after that mm-hmm. would have space to uh like complicate that pessimism and uh say some additional things beyond like the thing that turn a leaves me with which is just like um you know humanity is like endlessly belt, uh, bent towards violence <laughs> mm-hmm. um and that peace is always just like a, a lull in between um yeah yeah and that and that like you know what you were saying even a thing that comes up in like the sagas as well um a lot of storytelling is like conflict is the interesting thing for a story mm-hmm. um which is then just a thing that that bends like stories towards uh like violence and uh death and things like that because that is like more interesting than the mundanity of of everyday life mm-hmm. um but like by volume everyday i i don't encounter like that same level of violence in my day-to-day life yes um so Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think, uh, I don't think adding more would like change the tenor. Tomino's not going to find nuance that like pulls out of this sort of world. Yeah. I don't know if Tomino's the guy to do it. (laughs) Yeah. But also, Um, the idea of someone else touching turn A is like repellent to me. Like, get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. But like, maybe the people who he was kind of letting do their own thing and that's what makes turn A good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's other people involved in turn A that I guess I would trust for that. But, the, you um, know, you don't want the, you don't want the uh, Yaz situation where he's like, eh, you know, they didn't consult me enough on how Gundam should go. So I hate it forever and I'm going to rewrite my own version. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, also, the the stuff with um, Sochi at the end. Uh just like uh quietly sad yes <laughs> um her sister on on the moon uh with my favorite boy harry ord um Those you know two. They, get, they, get the, they get the best possible ending going to be yeah, moon queen <laughs> um it's great too because uh i think you even say this on like the final episode but like they're just going to continue to do what they were doing for like the last few episodes where they're like kind of flirting, but in secret. Um, and I mean, that's why I like Harry Ord is my boyfriend, uh, is that stuff is great. So Harry um, Ord's got a romantic dream. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I love him so much. The stuff at the end with him is so good. Um, 
Oh, you did mention the thing of like, uh, you have the the same sadness as me or whatever. Uh, and I felt like something like similar to that had come up, but then like literally the next episode I watched after you, you mentioned that, uh, was like that actual scene, which is very mm. good. Yeah. Um, Kehoe's probably my favorite character in Turning Gundam. I think she's really good. Yeah. Um, I know like in our community, like Sochi's been the one that really like got the, the listenership, uh, but for me, I think it's Kehoe. Um, Yeah. Keel's great. I think she's probably my favorite. Um, like just as a character. Mm-hmm. Again, Harry Orr is my boyfriend, but that's mm-hmm. different. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. Who did Who did uh, Keel lose to? Oh, in the in fucking the pole, terrible the character poll. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. Someone who sucks probably. I don't even know who does the poll. I just look at when people share it. Um, yeah. I don't let's see if I can just search Gundam poll and get it. Um <laughs> Top is not gonna help me at all. Here we go. Uh let's see if I can find a bracket for you. Um, and then we can both be mad together. Um Key Hill is not in that section. That's a bunch of people I don't know yet. Uh ba 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 ba. This was like the the internal. Oh, you mean the one in the Discord? Yeah. Oh God, right. Yeah, I guess she wasn't probably even in the uh, the main one that was going around. Um, yeah. I don't. Nah, I want to say it might. It couldn't have been Harry Ward. That can't be right. Um, the problem is everyone's talking about the other poll too, so searching for brackets yeah. is going to be a nightmare. Yeah. I can't believe that there was the, like, bot cheating. It's ridiculous. That, like, notes app post about it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, Keyhill lost to um, Laron. I was was incensed about, because Laron's fine. I like him quite a bit. But he's no fucking Keyhill. He's just not. Um, it did go to a tie. Sochi and Harry tied for first place, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I voted for Harry on that one, but I honestly, at that point, I was just kind of mad. Keyhill lost, and I'm like, a vote for Harry is kind of a vote for Keyhill because uh, he's a wife guy. Um, yeah. Um. It's up to me, yeah. it'd be Keel versus Gim Gingham at the end there. Those are the two fucking guys. <laughs> and I'd vote for Keel every single time. Yeah. I don't think I'm I'm quite as hot on Gim Gingham. He's still great though. It's it's uh, it's like combination. The power of, he holds as someone who's like barely in the show is incredible. Yeah, it's a combination of he's got maybe one of the coolest robots that's ever existed. Um the fucking weird space gundam for no good reason. Yeah. Um, I love his his whole like fetishization of militarism as like a indictment on just mecha fans in general, right? Um, yeah, 
Like this man is, this man is 10,000 years away from any living samurai and he's read a bunch of books and he thinks he's Miyamoto Musashi, like a dumbass, right? Like there's something really powerful to that to me. Also, he's voiced by famous voice actor boyfriend, Takahito Koyasu, who just, whenever he's voicing someone, that's a guy I'm going to stand. Yeah. <laughs> Other than Zex, fuck Zex, but. <laughs> um. Oh, I got the, the, that like Twitter poll up i don't think he was in this yeah i don't think he's in that one yeah but um you know you know i'm like a toga stan right like i love uh that awful awful boy <laughs> this also doesn't extend to mula flaga fuck mula flaga hate that guy too <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's fine. um i next week i'm gonna start stardust memory so I um I like Stars Memory. I feel like it's a really divisive OVA in our community. Um and I have like I think there's a lot of stuff in that that's like nasty and unpleasant, but I think most of it's intentional and the stuff that's not are like just OVA trappings that like I think when it hits it hits. And it in some ways it's the best Gundam's ever looked. Turney is like actually the best Gundam's ever looked or maybe 0079, but Stardust Memory is the like in a, in the sense of like greebly equals quality the best gundams ever looked in like its own unique way <laughs> yeah um i did the the math like a day or two ago uh-huh. uh i might finish victory before we do the the seed destiny unhinged. finale hinged i would be i would pop so hard to be fair but unhinged <laughs> victory uh, there's a fucking depressing ass gundam about how nobody has any hope <laughs> yeah uh i don't know if you because i I forget if it was on a, a Puton or like a post ED section of a Ghost Divers. Uh, Connor figured out why he was not enjoying it and was like going really slowly and having a bad time. And it was just that it's depressing. It's just like a sad show to watch. And so he like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's just like, I don't, I don't actually want to watch that right now. <laughs> I, um, um, on some days, uh, I will still be like a ride or die for victory. Uh, like I, yeah. I, I mostly put the energy into Gundam X because um, nobody's seen Gundam X and people will watch victory because you see eventually. Like, um, but I do love a lot about victory. It's good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward. To, I think if I decide to do the dub of Wing, I still kind of want to do the the um. We'll see how how quickly I go through G Gundam because that's been kind of slow for me. Um, mm. It's possible that it could be like just Gundam X that I need to like watch slash rewatch when I uh-huh. when I get to see Destiny. So nice. Um, I mean the finale for Sea Destiny. I yeah. I am in Sea Destiny. I am hating it every week. <laughs> yes, are we all? Um, uh, the turn X is a shining finger. It's pretty fucking sick. Yeah, it's very funny when uh, Gim Gangan does the the shining finger. <laughs> yes, uh, just saw that in the dark history. Said I I could do that. That seems cool. I could do that. It does seem cool. It's weird because like I know enough about Tomino to know that he's not saying anything about buy it right. Like he just threw some shit in. Like he's like, oh, old Gundam stuff. So we'll put it all in. Um, mm-hmm. He's been on the right, like on the record of being like, I like G Gundam because it did something different. Everyone else has just been ripping me off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so he respects it. Probably didn't actually watch it. I believe I be- I would believe in my heart. Tomino does not give a fuck about watching Gundam. He didn't make. Um, he just seems like that kind of guy. Um, 
But I do love that the fucking fake ass samurai does the move from the bad martial arts Gundam. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. there's like a, a, a synchronicity to the idea there. Yeah. Also, it is basically a super robot move. And the turn X is the closest that like Tomino Gundam gets to. Well, other than the goddamn Gundam uh, to a super robot. Yeah. Just like, I don't think there's anything to be said about like when the turn A and turn X confront each other, the, the, like the computer throws up a hologram of the, the Gundam X, like firing the microwave cannon to like dissuade them from battle. I don't think there's anything meant by that, but like, to me, as somebody who's seen all this in order, I'm like, this is the Gundam that literally ended the world. Like they did it. Like it's, it wasn't a moonlight butterfly. They just shot enough guns that it ruined everything. Um, and here it is like warning you do not do this. Yeah. It's like the placards in front of like a uh, nuclear waste disposal sites. Like, how do we make this? So like people 10,000 years from now, no, don't go down here. It will kill you. Um, and the answer is a picture of the goddamn Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then everyone anyway. goes, Oh wow. Cool robot. <laughs> Let's yeah. get a model of it. I have a, I have a, I have an X master grade sitting to be built at some point. So uh, I've been, I've been waiting for a restock. Oh, not the Turnex. I have the Turnex built. It's sick. Oh, okay. You should definitely pick up a Turnex uh, next time they restock. They don't restock those very often because Japan does not like either of those Gundams because they're out of their goddamn minds. Um, but uh, every time one rolls around, uh, people are always hype. I have a Turn A and an X Turnex, and they're both very cool. Yeah, I, I built the uh, Master Grade Turn A Gundam. That yes. might be my favorite Gundam. I mean, the the granddaddy, like the RX-78-2, is just a classic for a reason, but... Oh, yeah, my uh, my favorite is probably F-91, just in terms of, like, Gundam. Looks like a Gundam. Love the Gundam. Um, That's the one that, like, the, the like, chest is almost like a race car. Yes, and has, like, fins, like, like heat radiator fins that come out of the shoulders. Uh, it's yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's like the nice intersection. It's also like one of the smaller ones. It's like victory small. Um, and I, I like the intersection of like small guy. It looks kind of, it looks like a Gundam. Like I like in the iconography, it doesn't have a bunch of shit on it. Um, made major problem with destiny Gundams. They all have too much shit on them. Yeah. Um, truly the thing about Gunpla is you like build it and you're like, Oh fuck. Now I care about this. <laughs> That was me with the Alex. I really, I loved building the Master Grade Alex. Uh, it, it's fucking sick. Didn't have a single thought about the Alex before that, but I was like, this looks kind of neat. It's got the big armor. Um, I'll build it. Uh, and I ended up being like, man, this is a really nice looking Gundam. I like a lot about this thing as a, as an up like an evolution of the design of the original goddamn Gundam. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There. There's like this. Uh fairly basic suit that exists in uh iron-blooded orphans and i never mm. really cared about it that much but i i liked the character that piloted it so mm. i i built one like in between when i watched it last and then now we're doing it on ghost divers and i saw it in the show and i was like oh fuck now i care about that robot <laughs> <laughs> now Fair i know much. how it's like knees work and i just care about how its knees work um stupid <laughs> it happens yeah this is also the thing with the the strike rouge i i now know how its knees work and i i care about how its knees are <laughs> well cool. that's make, that makes one of you kagali does not know how the strike rouge's <laughs> knees work she's never used it to fucking anything yeah 
<clears throat> that's the biggest thing is like it's just made all the times that like the strike ruse shows up and then Kigali doesn't do anything with it. Uh yeah. even worse because I'm just like, well now I care about this thing even more. Um She's probably aside from Flay, my favorite character in first season. Definitely my favorite of returning characters. Um but the show hates her, so like there's just nothing there for me anymore with her. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway. I'm complaining about Sea Destiny, so I think we're done here. I think we're done here. We can get out of here a little bit early. Um, so we're taking next week off because it's abnormal mapping editing week. Um, and we'll be back the week after that to start uh Hemskring Heimskringla? That's what it's called, right? Heimskringla. Heimskringla. Okay. Yeah. Um and we will be reading the forward and uh Yingling Osaga, which you said. Uh, yep. which is gonna be in the show notes, obviously. I don't think I have any spoilers for this other than turn a Gundam for once. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, but we do uh, talk about it a lot. Yeah, we do. So. We, we spoil it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I can do plugs. Uh, you can find me at Fox Omnia on Twitter uh, and also co-host, although I really have not been posting there much. But yeah, if you go there, if, weeks, if you're so. on co-host and not Twitter, you'll at least be able to still check my pinned chost um, where I have links to all four of my podcasts. So uh, if you like Gundam, go listen to um, I was going to say Iron-Blooded Orphans. That's the one we're doing. Go listen to Ghost Divers. Um, also, Ornate Stairwells is back. We had a, a non-homophobia zone that I think was as long as the actual main episode. So, it was a lot. Yeah. I It was weird because like, I listened to the bracket special uh, and then rolled right into the stairwell. So it was like just like four hours of listening to you two talk. And the bracket special made me so like disoriented and angry <laughs> that I feel like the entire stairwell just washed over me in a haze. And I like that movie. I don't remember a fucking thing you said about it. And it has like one of the best stairs ever. Yeah. We do talk about it a, a fair amount, but yeah, that was, it's all that was fell out of my head. Tumbled. We were out. very on our bullshit for that one though. Yeah. Like that whole episode. Um, we get in so many tangents. Yes. Um, next we're doing the Mad Fox. Yeah. Which I'm assuming you won't watch cause it's just some Japanese movie. I, I have to watch a Japanese movie tomorrow for my podcast because <clears throat> Jackson picked a Japanese movie. So, no, I will not be watching Mad yeah. Fox. It's really good, though. Someday. I might. It's got, uh, like, three women that look the same. Yes. No, we've talked about it. I think on this yeah. podcast we've talked about the Mad Fox. Yeah. It's either on great. this one or something else. But Yeah. <clears throat> um. But I don't want to watch any movies right now, and I've got to watch one movie, which is one too many. So I'm not going to watch two, one for bonus. Your your movie moded phase lasted so short compared. It was to what really I intense as the thing, but then it fell yeah. off. It fell off. Yeah. The problem is when I'm <clears throat> game moded, it's like really intense. It just assumes everything around it. Yeah. But then it, if that goes like sometimes that goes away and it doesn't come back for like three years, so it's I'm not like super concerned about it, right? Um, yeah it's fine it's fine um we made it through one without talking about chrono cross that's the most i will say about it i don't know do to... 
No, I don't have much. Uh, no, no, no. The thing is, the Chrono Cross is like I- I've been talking to you a little bit about stuff as I come across it, like in our DMs, just enough to be like, "Oh, this thing happened." I think it's kind of funny, but like where I'm at right now is mostly like a bunch of optional shit, so I have nothing like important to talk about. Yeah. Um, and all of the all of the like story that's coming up, I won't want to talk about because that's burning cast. Um. Mm-hmm. So. Uh yeah, because yeah, you I haven't just... gotten to the the big quote unquote twist, which yeah, I I think you know a part of at least. I've told you I've told you what I know, <clears throat> and you were like, you know yeah. some of it. <laughs> yeah, you don't know all of it. Um, but really, all I want is a third character in my fucking squad that doesn't suck ass. Uh, yeah. The um, what's her face? Your childhood friend? I want to say Luca, and I'm pretty sure it's not Luca. What's her name? Lena. Lena. Um. You, I would think that she's she'd be more important as the classic childhood friend, but she has done fuck all because she's like the most optional character in the world. Yeah. Um, also, she's not your childhood friend. That's true. But like the way in which it's pitched initially is like, this is going to be a story of you and the girl next door, but from another universe who doesn't kind of remember you uh, meaningfully going and like reconnecting memories. Cause she thought she was like, Oh, that boy Serge was really important to me, whatever, you know, all the, all the stuff that's happened. None of that's ever come up again. Cause she's, she's so missable that the game doesn't really have a lot of dialogue supporting her. It's the fucking Serge and kids show. Everyone else get in the back. Yeah. Which is fine, I guess. But like, I picked her up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really important. She's like, you know, child of friend, child of friend, just categorically in RPGs is an important character. Even if the importance is to be imperiled girl, right? The fucking Sakura treatment or whatever. Yeah. Uh, at least it's something. She's got nothing. She just <clears throat> might as well. She's over there next to the dog that I don't, t- I don't talk to anymore. <laughs> and the yeah. fucking like voodoo doll that I never put in my party. <laughs> um, Yeah getting her really does feel like it's just like an Easter egg that you're not supposed to get the first time. Yeah. Well, unfortunately I'm following a guide. So I did get her really. All I'm doing is sitting around twiddling my thumbs until I can recruit Harl because I love her the most. Every time she shows up, it's the best game ever made. And every time she's not around, I'm like, where's Harl? Yeah. Uh, you'll be happy soon. Kind of. I just think she's cool. I don't know what her deal is. I'll, I'm excited to find out someday. Um, She's so much cooler to me than Lynx, who uh, is ridiculous. I I find his uh, whole gimmick of, like, furry pirate just stupid. It's corny. Um, all, the Vi- all the Viper uh, general guys seem kind of corny. Yeah. Marcy's okay. It just is like a, a little brat. Yeah. Um... But yeah, the rest are not that great. Um, I can't believe we've fallen and I have to put Chrono Cross spoilers in the fucking list now. I and said I, I wasn't going to say anything. I know this is all on me. It's I not understand. my fault. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. This is my fault. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. I'm trying to tweet on main more. It's a process. I have a lot of mental illness. Please understand. But I am I'm trying to tweet there more readily. Usually shit posts. Because I'm good about plugging, but I'm not good about being a person on main. Um and I'm trying. Uh you can find all my podcasts at neuralmapping.com. We have rope toy screenings coming out soon about the man who stole the sun, which I'm excited to watch tomorrow, uh, despite my professed reticence uh not f- five minutes ago. Um and I'm looking forward to that. Uh because we haven't done our Ubuntu's in it. 
yeah, we haven't done repertory screenings in three weeks, and I'm a little antsy because I'm, I'm that's been a long time. It's like, oh damn, ready repertory screenings. Um, we have our beach house, uh, your uncle's beach house. If you just go to the website normalmapping.com, you can find your uncle's beach house on Haruhi season two, and the movie. Uh, coming out on Friday. And that episode is good. Um, we have the most back-ass words to everyone else take on Haruhi possible in that we really like Endless 8 and we really didn't like the movie. Um, and nobody thinks this way. So I hope people appreciate our thoughts on that. Me and Jackson don't even agree on why we don't like the movie, kind of. It's good. I think the episode's really good. I hope people look forward to it. <laughs> I'm still in the middle of... Uh, I watched episode four of the Endless 8 today, yeah. but it's great. Yeah um and uh everything else besides yeah there's gonna be there's gonna be a abnormal mapping next week on mutazion and i don't even know if that's how you say it i need to do some research on friday um but that game i really liked um if you want to play it it's it's uh cheap and i actually i don't know if it's in the steam set or not but it's uh it's like four hours and it's great i think it's really good um i like it more than night in the woods kind of about some of the same things uh if that's selling anything to you you know um but that's it for me um i have nothing else we'll be back in two weeks until then we're out of the podcast and then we're out of the podcast